Hi, this is Rabbi Yolovsky, and welcome to episode 10 of the Rabbi Yolovsky Show. What a pleasure it is to see everybody. I hope you are recovering from Hanukkah because its effects last a long time, physically and spiritually. Physically, because you have just uh, overdosed on carbs and oil, all the food groups, sugar, (laughs) salt. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, those of you in America, you might have had donuts. Those of us here in Israel, we had sufkariot. Those of you who do not know the difference, uh, donut is, you know, what they sell in, in bakeries in America. Sufganiya is an old chalorol that has been left to sit in oil uh, long enough that if you were to stick in a wick, you could recreate the Hanukkah miracle, sprinkled with a little bit of powdered sugar on it. The purpose of this is, in case you are one of those people who like to go around and poo-poo sufganiyot, oh, they're so unhealthy for you. If you eat one, they'll know right away because all the powdered sugar will get on you, you know. And when you try to brush it off, it just makes a glaze. (laughs) So everybody, I hope, is recovering from Hanukkah. And the light of Hanukkah has to carry us through the dark days of the winter and into the ultimate geula where the light of Pesach will come in the springtime. But now we're hunkering down for the cold and Mitzvah Shem Yisrael, rainy winter, with the winds blowing and uh, people staying safely inside of their homes. Yeah. Um, Richard Adams, who wrote an absolutely fascinating book called Watership Down, I have recommended this book to people who like to read books. Yeah, um, Watership Down. It's actually about rabbits. If you can get past that, you know, I think it's a great book uh, on many levels. I think it's one of the, one of the best books ever written. I'm not talking about Svarim. I'm talking about if you're looking for, a, you know, you know some, some escapist re- reading. But it, it brings with it a lot of values, which is what I find fascinating about it. But, uh, you know, he's describing what winter means for the rabbits. And he says, when people say that they like the winter, what they mean is being protected by the winter. If you were homeless living outside in the winter, you probably wouldn't like winter very much. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what we mean is like uh, when I was in NCSY, so we used to make once a year a ski trip which people enjoyed very much. We used to get a very large turnout for this because evidently on some level it is extremely appealing to people to put very thin strips of fiberglass on their feet and fall down a snowy mountain. This had no appeal to me whatsoever, but I did enjoy sitting in the ski lounge, a ski lodge, sitting in the ski lodge by the fireplace with a glass of hot cocoa and I found that a deeply meaningful experience. Yeah, so uh, so that's what we we really mean, you know. When we say, you know, I you know I like it when it's raining, yeah, because I get to be inside in a nice warm house, listening to it pitter patter on my windowsill. Yeah, but uh, if you're outside in a storm, it tends to be a little less exciting. So uh, so the light of Hanukkah is designed to carry us through these dark days ahead. 
And that's why it's at the Kufras Teves. It's at that dark time as we head for the darkness. Um, I want to speak a little idea about this week's parsha. That's such an important idea. And it's a chazal, and all the Balimusa like to talk about it. And, uh, and that is the revelation that takes place at the beginning of the parsha. Because at the end of last week's parsha, uh, Yosef has hid his magic goblet in Binyamin's bag, where it is discovered. And he says, now Binyamin will become a slave. The rest of you can all go free. The reason Yosef did this is because when he first saw his brothers, it says he remembered the dreams. And the first dream was that 11 uh, bunches of wheat would bow down to him, and that was the 11 brothers, and that had been fulfilled. And the next one was the sun and the moon and the stars, which means that Yaakov and the Shvatim had to bow down to him. And he was sure that in order to rescue Binyamin, Yaakov himself would come down to Mitzrayim, and he could fulfill that dream. Yeah. But Yehuda, Vayigash, I love Yehuda. Yehuda comes armed with righteous indignation. And he gives him, oh, such a talking to. Yeah. He says, we came down here to buy, to, to, to buy food for our family. And you start questioning us. Uh, do you have any brothers? Do you have a father? What's going on with your family? What, what were you, you, we had a sister you wanted to marry? You know, and, and, you, and you start saying this and saying that, and you accuse us of being spies, and, and, and you stick our money in our bag, and we brought it back, and you stick the money back in our bag, you know, and, you know they, and you're going on and on and on, all these tricks. I've had it. I've had it. Yeah? You want a slave? Take me. I'm a better slave than my brother. I'll stand up for my brother. Yeah. And Yosef, whose heart was never in this, he really had no bad feelings towards his brothers. Yeah? Um, sometimes people do bad things to us and we can see the Yad Hashem. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to be delicate because I'm not really very good at that. Yeah? Sometimes I've used examples of people or situations when I speak and I gave away too many details and people were able to figure it out. But Suffice it to say, I was once in a job, and I had maxed out my potential in that job, and I really should move on to something else, but I did not want to, because I'm, um, I was comfortable, even though I wasn't happy, even though I wasn't doing as well as I could, but I was, I was comfortable. Most people, and I speak about it all the time, and I'm no different than anybody else, yeah, uh, most people will prefer comfort over adventure, over, over um, fulfillment, yeah, over meaning. I was comfortable there, even though I was not happy there, and I knew I'd maxed out my potential, and there's no place for me to go, but okay. So somebody came on a staff who wanted my job. Too bad he didn't just tell me up front, because then, you know, maybe we could have worked something out, but <laughs> instead what he did is he began a campaign against me, turning the boss against me, turning other employees against me, doing all kinds of terrible things about me, until I had no choice but to leave and take a better job. I had no choice. I was pushed out the door. And I went on to get a better job that was more fulfilling, had more covered, and had more money. 
And yet I still have a bad feeling about this guy. <laughs> Even though it all worked out for the best, you know? And, I, and I've really worked on myself to try to say, listen, I know he spread all these lies about you and destroyed your relationship with a close friend. And, you know, I did all these things. But in the end of the day, it all worked out for the good. Now, I'm, I'm not a tzaddik. That's why they say Yosef at tzaddik and nobody says David Orlovsky at tzaddik. I've been called many things, but no one has ever said, oh, yeah, David Orlovsky at tzaddik. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, but Yosef Atzadik had no bad feelings. And he, in fact, st when the story's over, he says to his brothers, listen, I know you had bad intentions, but because of you, I was able to save, save the world from starvation. I was able to create a safe haven for the Jewish people. I was able to lay the foundation. Look at all the good that came from your bad intentions. Yeah? Uh, he's Yosef Atzadik. Yeah, that's, that's a tremendous thing to do. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't even have a coat like that. When I was younger, I went to Chavetz Chaim, and, you know, dressing yeshivish in Chavetz Chaim meant something different than it does every place else in the world. <laughs> I had this beautiful houndstooth jacket. It was really good. You know, then I came to Herzl, and you really couldn't wear that except on Purim. I, I remember when I was in the Boston Kollel, you know, most of these people were Bali Tshuva, and... Uh, they wore the wildest outfits on Purim. And I said to someone, where'd you get it from? And they said, my closet. <laughs> These are my old clothes. Anyway, so, uh, so, so Yosef said, uh, all worked out for the best. All worked out for the best, yeah. Anyway, so they, Yehuda makes this whole speech. And he says, we have an elderly father. How do you take a child away from his father? How do you do that? How do you take a child away from his father? And so he stands up and he says, Ani Yosef. Yeah? Is my father still alive? What was he saying to them? He said, yeah, Yehuda, what a terrible thing to take a child away from his father. How is dad doing, by the way? Because evidently this didn't bother you so much when you sold me into slavery and took me away from my father for 22 years. Then you didn't have so much concern for dad's welfare. How's he doing? He's still around? Now you sit here with righteous indignation and the, the shock. Yeah, and that's why the Chazal say, what's, what's the power of what Yosef said? The power of what Yosef said is, your whole argument is based on the fact that um, you, it, it's just too cruel to take a child away from a father. But you didn't mind taking me away from dad. It's the contradiction that catches you. The contradiction in your actions. The hypocrisy. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to come to us at the end of the day and say, why didn't you learn Taira? And we say, oh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I wish I could, but I was so busy. I was so busy learning uh, Taira. I, I was so busy working. I had to make money. You know, school tuitions are so expensive and taking care of my children and everything costs so much money. I, I wish I had time to sit and learn. I, I so envy those people who could just sit and learn. He says, so it was just because so you had to make a living. He says, yeah. He says, well, you know, actually, I have some of your credit card receipts here. <laughs> you know, some of these things were not very good that you spent money on, you know. And uh, 
I guess while you were out making money for this, you could have probably been learning Torah during that, right? Or maybe giving the money at Staka. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't you learn Torah? Oi. Oi, I wish I could. I was so busy taking care of my children, going out to earn a living. I had so much to do. Oi, oi, I wish I had time. You didn't have any time? Well, I have a list here of your various. And some of these were quite time consuming. <laughs> but you could have been learning during this instead of doing that. The contradiction is, is the oi meyomadin. The fact that we're suddenly caught in the contradiction of our own actions. What do you say then? And, and there's nothing to say. There's nothing to say. When, when, when the very point you were trying to make suddenly comes back at you. That's the thing that's so scary. Uh, November, uh, uh, on uh, September 11th, you might recall that uh, these planes smashed into the Twin Towers in New York and they went down. Now, there was a, a guy who was having a relationship with someone who was not his wife. And uh, that's a very bad thing to do. And, but he figured he wouldn't get caught. And uh, for some people, this provides a certain thrill. I don't remember if I told this story or not. It's such a great story. I was on a plane coming back from Atlanta, Georgia, sitting next to this young Jewish guy. And uh, um, I was younger than him, but he, was, he wasn't that much older than me, you know. And uh, he was married. I was single. And he says to me, where do you live? And I said, I live in Long Island. He says, I also live in Long Island. You know, yeah, a little Jewish geography. He says, what do you do? I said, well, I run this Jewish youth organization. I was just in Atlanta. You know, I had a Shabbaton. I bring a bunch of kids together. We spent Shabbos together. What were you doing? So I went to see, you know, my girlfriend. I said, I thought you're married. He says, I am. I said, uh, your wife is not attractive? He says, she's more attractive than this woman. I said, uh, you don't have a happy marriage? He said, oh yeah, it's very happy. I said, then why do you do this? And he said, the thrill. I was astounded by this concept. You know. So they used to say about the Alta of Slobodka that when he got through with you, you might not go to Olam Haba, but you'll never enjoy Olam Haza again. <laughs> So I felt in my own small way I had to make my own contribution. <laughs> so I said, so, what do you think your wife's doing when you're away on these trips? <laughs> so he says, no, 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 my wife. I know, but you think your wife is saying that my husband, and really you're doing all this stuff behind her back. I bet she can't wait for you to leave, and, you know, she invites the neighbor over for a cup of coffee. We didn't talk for the rest of the flight, but, uh, you know, I gave him pause. So sometimes people do this. There's just the, the idea of the adventure, the thrill that's involved in it. I can tell you that I have dealt with from people involved in these kind of matters for the same reason, the thrill. There's a rush. There's a rush. Am I going to get discovered? Am I going to... Uh, I don't understand it. Because to me, it's a thrill when I get out of bed in the morning. Not just because my life is such an adventure, but because two major doctors told me I'm supposed to be dead. 
Apparently, they were wrong. <laughs> One of them said to me, I don't know why you're still alive. Someone up there must like you, yeah? So every day when I wake up in the morning and I, my body is hurting all over, I say, oh, Baruch Hashem, I'm alive. Because if I wake up in the morning and nothing hurts, that means that I'm dead. And if you wake up in the morning and you're dead, trust me, it changes your whole day. Yeah? So, uh, okay. So I, uh, I wake up in the morning. What a thrill. It's a gift. It's a mamasha gift. Yeah. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. <laughs> if you know where that's from, just keep it to yourself. Anyway, so, uh, so in any event, you know, uh, you, you wake up in the morning, it's a threat. But there are people who are always looking. Their lives don't have meaning. So they're looking for some kind of adventure, some kind of thrill, something that's going to give them, you know, uh, a rush. Yeah? And like I say, when I get up in the morning, just the fact that I'm alive gives me a rush. And when I can get out of bed, that's even more of a rush. <laughs> it's not easy to get up in the morning. Sometimes I get up in the morning, I don't know how, I'm so tired. Now, I'm, I'm on Ted Epstein-Barr syndrome, and uh, forget about it. I would go to sleep 8 o'clock at night, wait up at 8 o'clock in the morning, exhausted. Exhausted. It, 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 I couldn't open my eyes. I had to roll onto the floor and crawl on my hands and knees to the bathroom. That's how tired I was, you know. So uh, getting up in the morning is not one of my great skills. I, I have to say, there are a lot of people like this, you know. Some people, when they went to yeshiva or seminary, had a roommate who likes to wake up at the crack of dawn, open the window, let in the fresh air, wake up all her friends. Look, the sun is rising. There are people like this, but most of them never make it to adulthood because they're beaten to death by their roommates. But there are people. <laughs> morning is an exciting time. I'm not one of them. Sometimes I, I drag myself out of bed, I go to the bathroom, and I wash up, and I get dressed, and I take my tefillin, and I open the door, and I'm still in bed. I dreamed the whole thing. And my first thought is, Oh, no, now I have to do it again. <laughs> so, uh, okay, but some people look for adventures. This guy got involved in this unfortunate relationship for the thrill of it, and he told his wife, don't call me today because I'm going to be in meetings all day. Yeah. Anyway, he was at his friend's apartment, his paramour. Yeah, and his cell phone rings. He looks at it, it's his wife. He goes, I can't believe it. I told her not to call me. He ignores it, and it rings again, and it rings again, and it rings again, and finally he picks it up and goes, didn't I tell you not to call me? She says, yeah, but you said you were in meetings. I'm in my office right now. I'm in the middle of a meeting. He says, you're in your office right now? He says, yeah. He says, but a plane just hit your building, and it all collapsed. <laughs> his office was in the Twin Towers. <laughs> In the words of the late Desi Arnaz, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> There's nothing you can say. What are you going to say? You know, it's, 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 you're so caught in the lie. You're so caught in the contradiction. That's the scary part of it, you know? I, I used to meet people who not only were not mitzvah observant or they were not certain mitzvah observant, but they made it clear that they didn't want to become mitzvah observant because, now listen to this logic, because 
if I say that I want to change, then that means I'm doing the wrong thing now. And if I'm doing the wrong thing now, then I have to deal with the guilt of the fact that I'm not doing the right thing. And I can't handle that guilt. So I cannot accept the fact that I'm doing something wrong now. You hear the logic? Impeccable. Yeah. So the person would often ask me, doesn't it bother you when you fall short? And I said, no, I have fallen short my entire life. I've made a career out of falling short. <laughs> I give a Moti Shabbos here every other Moti Shabbos here in Harnof. And um, I've had people over the years who said, I love coming to your shiurim because you're so ordinary. And I feel like if you could do it, anyone could. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that, you know. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. There are people who say to me, there are certain people who have been speaking a long time and they pick up certain affectations, you know, and they, and they say, you know, my wife would always say, you know, she loves these, you know, 19, 20-year-old, you know, uh, teachers, you know, lady teachers who say things like, I always tell my girls. I always tell my students. <laughs> I've never said that. I'm not, not, I'll tell you better than that. Whenever I meet a student and whether it was from... 30 years ago, or whether it's from a year ago, someone says, who's this? I say, this is my friend, you know, Moshe. You know, I'm saying, my student? You know, my friend, this is, you know, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta build myself up. So he says, I listened to your recordings from 30 years ago, and you sound exactly the same. And that's because I have worked hard over the years not to mature. It hasn't stopped me from aging, but at least I have not matured. <laughs> But of course I fall short. I fall short in all kinds of areas. I can tell you that I'm better now than I was 20 years ago. Just gives you an idea how difficult I must have been then, yeah? And I was better 20 years before that, yeah? But, uh, but life is a work in progress, yeah? If you have nothing to fix, you have nothing to do, you know, well, there's nothing left. You're done. There's nothing, nothing you need to work on. So I'm okay by admitting the fact that there's a contradiction. The problem is when there are people, you know, who want to believe that they are where they belong. They are perfect. There's nothing wrong. Yeah. And then they have to face the contradictions of their lives. And the worst are the people who like to lecture the rest of us. The people who like to tell us how we should be doing this. Yeah. I knew somebody used to talk in shul incessantly. Well, incessantly is too strong a word, and it's also too big for most of my audience. But he used to talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, used to, I used to give a share. I would throw in the word ubiquitous just to show how smart I was. Anyway, <laughs> it's a little unctuous of me. But anyway, so um, um, the, uh, I said once that, you know, um, when you're a speaker, the tools of your trade are words. So, you know, you collect words like, like a carpenter would collect screwdrivers. You know what I mean? You know, all kinds of different fancy screwdrivers, you know. So we, we, we look for words, you know. And uh, um, that's what somebody said to me once. He goes, I don't know, the speaker speaks. I can't understand half the words he's saying, you know. I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> when you can't understand a word that he's saying, then you're really going to be impressed. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
I, I feel comfortable mentioning his name because it, not only do I consider him a close friend, but, but he's also one of the greats of the Jewish people, yeah? My, my dear friend, Akiva Tatz, who is just too smart by half. <laughs> now, the, the thing about him is there are people who are just incredibly smart, and they don't know how to bring it to people. He gets up and he speaks. And the ideas, I know because I went to Shurim by Rav Moshe Shapiro for a mere 10 years. He went much longer than I did, and he actually understood what was going on. He was one of those people that Rav Moshe actually held from, you know? And he's saying such incredibly deep ideas, you know? And, uh, and he says it in a way that's tremendously engaging. You, you, you'll see what I'm saying. And, and, you know, he engages the audience, and it's just absolutely fascinating and tremendous. Yeah. This, is, this is a tremendous idea. Stay with me here. Anyway, so uh, he's just great, yeah? And people say to me, wow, that was unbelievable. I said, what did he say? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I was once on a speaking tour with him. We gave the same speech in five cities, you know? And at the end of, at the, end of the, the, the tour, you know, so I said, I want you to appreciate Rabbi Tatz. He doesn't have to stay. He spoke first. He could leave. He stays as a cover to sit through me. I sit through his speeches because I'm still trying to figure out what he's talking about. <laughs> He sits through mine because he's just a big sadic, yeah? But anyway, um, so, uh, uh, so there, there, are, there are people. There was this guy, he used to talk in Shul. Okay, not all the time, but here and there. And one time, he was actually talking. And the Rav, you know, gives a clap, says, no, no. And he turns around and he starts banging on the table. No, no. <laughs> Don't talk and then tell people to be quiet. You, you can't have both ways. You can't have it both ways. You want to be consistent, be consistent, yeah? Don't, you know, Rabbi Wine tells the story that there was a person running for the city council here in Yerushalayim on the Clean Jerusalem Party. You know, clean up Yerushalayim, you know, it should be clean, you know. Um, I don't know if it was part of the Green Party or whatever it was, you know. He says, I was with him, and I saw him throw a wrapper on the floor <laughs> from the clean Jerusalem party. <laughs> he threw it on the floor. Maybe he was trying to prove his point and trying to get people to support him, you know. I live in Yerushalayim. If you, I don't know how it works every place in the country or every place in the world, but before elections, people stop every few buildings and take like hundreds of these little pieces of paper and throw them in the air with like, you know, whatever their particular campaign message is. So apparently the more you litter, the more votes you get. This is... Uh, this is what I've been able to establish. You know, again, I'm not in politics per se. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to taking some sort of a government job, which doesn't require too much work and uh, gives me an opportunity for corruption. But, um, but uh, certainly, uh, I, I watch these things. I just find it absolutely amazing, you know, when you see how it goes on with politics, you know. It's not like in America where everything's calm and relaxed and, you know, you have only mature and uh, adult <laughs> people, yeah. Anyway, I have to be real careful now whenever I say he played the trump card. <laughs> People take that the wrong way. Aye. It's okay to have failings. It's okay to have shortcomings. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody does. Everybody's a work in progress. Let's just not carry ourselves around as if we are the finished product and look down at other people. Understand that everybody's struggling. We're all struggling, you know? It's so easy to look at somebody, you know, and decide, oh, look at them. But it's that judgment that comes up in the Yom Adin when it's the contradiction 
You give this whole speech about how could you take a child away from his father, and there's Yosef. There's no words anymore. There's nothing to say. You know, when you court mamish in that contradiction. And how tragic it is for us when we find Jewish leaders who espouse certain ideas and do not live up to it in their own lives. So if you say, listen, I'm saying this because we're all struggling along with it, you know, I used to teach in a rabbinical training program, and at the end of the year, I'd have an evaluation of the course. What did you like? What, what did you find particularly meaningful? And, and what was interesting is that very often I would get the response, you shared your failures with us. There's no trick to get up and talk about all of your successes. Oh, I spoke to this person, this person became religious, I did this, spoke over here, and this went well, and that went well, you know? He says, you talk about all the mistakes you made and all the flaws and all the shortcomings, and you don't hear that from people. You don't hear that from people. Somebody once said to me, you know, a boy who's having issues will have a Rebbe who will say to him, what do you think? When I was your age, I also didn't do crazy stuff. You think I also wasn't into bad things? He came late to Davni one day. You know, he forgot to say Katyrus. I don't know what, you know what I mean? But he doesn't tell you what it is. He just says, yeah, I also. And, and the person said to me, no girl will ever have a mora who says, yeah, I was a really bad girl when I was in high school. <laughs> but if you don't have somebody to look to who's willing to tell you, listen, we're all in this together. I have shortcomings. You do. It's okay. It's okay to fall short in life. And, and the more that we accept our own shortcomings and limitations, the more that we can open ourselves up to be able to change it. And when we convince ourselves and others what tzaddikim we are and how perfect we are, when you get caught in that contradiction, that's it for this week. To find out more about this show, you can go to ravayolovsky.com slash podcast. If you want to f- make a comment about this particular episode, you can go to rabbiolovsky.com slash podcast slash 10. Um, if you want to know about my upcoming schedule, rabbiolovsky.com slash events. Uh, if you want to just contact me, rabbiolovsky.com slash contact. And those of you who continue to ask about sponsoring the podcast, We are working on that. Trust me, we want your money. Don't do anything with it till we work this out. We are waiting anxiously. We're stuck with a technical difficulty. But in the meantime, if you have any spare jewelry or, you know, stuff like that, you want to just stick it in an envelope and send it over, listen, everyone has to look into their heart and do what they think is right. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next week. (laughs) 